Welcome everyone to the Eva Health Podcast, season two. My name's Erin, I'll be your host this season where we explore health information technology topics and our solution, Eva. So without any further ado, let's get this episode started. All right, all right, episode two of season two Eva Health Podcast. So today we're gonna talk about what does it mean to practice and live the way you want as an independent medical provider, as a private practice owner? This is a really important topic, and we start the episode by really kind of exploring why we, or what we, wanted to do when we were little, right? What was the internal motivating factor for our careers as little kids? And does that carry through to our passion today? Well, for me, it sure does. And my wonderful guest today is Dr. James Mahoney. This is, you know, a great topic for us to explore. And I look forward to diving in. Hey, Dr. J. Good morning, Erin. How are you? Awesome. It's like a beautiful day here in lovely Texas. It's sunny and beautiful, unlike where you are. (laughs) Yes. Snowstorm New Mexico. Yeah, you know, it's pretty, but dang. So today we're going to talk about what did you want to be when you grew up? I love it. Why would you want to I think we decided last time that we're going to talk about things that are energizing and um, and really uh, make uh, this whole process back to what it was supposed to be. When um, when I started, when I was a little kid, I have a picture of me when I was five years old, and they used to make little kits for little kids where there were clip-on plastic glasses and a little stethoscope and all that stuff. And I have a picture of me from that, which I was given at one of my birthdays as an adult, and it's it's super cute. It's just, you know. Um, and when I was a little boy, um, some, you know, that would have been like 58 years ago. Um, it was really a, um, incredibly desirable thing to become a physician. It was just kind of the coolest thing you could do besides be an astronaut was to be a doctor. And, um, by the time I was seven, I was either my parents had maneuvered me into that, or I decided that I was sure I was going to be a doctor when I grew up. And, um, what I wanted to be as a doctor was to be that um, that person who, when everything else went wrong, this person would have the answers. And um, and when when things went terribly wrong, like you could die, this person would be the one who would stop you from dying. And that was my thought. It was very naive, of course, because I was a little kid. But as I matured and got older, all the other things that went with that, um, which were having just a really good life where you you get to do heroic things regularly. You have meaning in what you're doing. You, um, you're respected. Um, and, and then as I really started to apply what I was learning, um, watching people go from sick to well, um, especially as an osteopathic doctor, um, because you can do all the manual stuff, the manipulative medicine, it became more and more interesting. Um, and then when I was finally licensed and fit, done residency, um, I began to understand that um, being a doctor is a very different thing than that, uh, but still really great. And then from the 90s until about 2000, it was pretty 
free high times it was pretty good and um electronic medical records hadn't really become a thing at all and um it was just doing a really good job and if patients liked you and you did a good job you were you're very very successful and that began to change over that that 10 years and in, in 2000 or so uh things started to get a whole lot there's a whole lot more drag on the system more regulation and more stuff and um then the need for a more systematic way to do things became apparent. Then medical record stuff came up in like 2008. I think it was the High Tech Act. Am I right? Is it like 2008-ish? Late 2000s. Um, yes. And then, and then the, the, you know, the Texas Medical Board started to get really persnickety about if you're not on a uh, computerized system, they didn't like your records, regardless of your medical care. If you didn't have a... Um, a, a computerized system, an EMR, they were um, going to give you a hard time. And um, many, many, many doctors, the most common uh, complaint against doctors is your medical records aren't up to snuff. And primarily what that is, is that because they're not computerized, there's going to be clerical errors. There's going to, the date will be missing or the, you, the sentence. And the, I mean, to this point, the, if you miss punctuation too many times, they consider that um, a medical record violation. It's very rare for that to happen. They have to have other reasons probably to not like you, but it, it could be really goofy. Um, but what I wanted to be when I grew up was that guy who would be special, be able to really help people and have a tremendous amount of respect. And I always thought of, we had a few doctors in our neighborhood. I want to be like him. Uh, Dr. Johnston, that was his name. He was a pulmonologist, but he was so cool. And he'd come back from the train every day from going downtown Philadelphia and he had a pipe and he had a briefcase and he was real tall and he was real stately. And I'm like that, like that, that's who I'm going to be. And he also played tennis, which is like so cool. Um, anyway, I was, I was way into it, but then doctoring didn't become that after a while. It became just kind of like everybody sort of got their, their sights set on giving you a hard time. So Medicare became, uh, very punitive so like no matter what you did you'd get in trouble no matter how you help patients and the more that you helped patients i think this has been mentioned before but i had a house call service and i did it for a whole year and helped gobs of old people who couldn't get out of their house and medicare investigated me for fraud because nobody does house calls that's why that's why they investigated me and i was like ah oh, this is terrible um i, I don't feel heroic I feel like a criminal and i didn't do anything anything wrong in fact, I had done something very right. Um, now it's fashionable. Then it was not in 1989. Um, so that was my first brush. And then things continued on until doctors seemed to be getting it from every side. Lawyers, the insurance companies, the medical boards, and all of it can be cured to a great degree by saying, I'm going to go cash and I'm going to have a really, really good system technology that will make me soar above all of the legal issues, the medical board issues. So medical records are in compliance. You can prove that what you did was excellent. No one has any questions about your care or the flows and all your records and telephone calls and texts. And they're all in the stream of your record. It's all in there. So no one misses anything. And then you can go back to being heroic. I can't find those little clip on glasses I had when I was five, but I could almost wear them at this point because we've, we've come up with that where I feel like I can do my job now. I can have relationships with patients, help them get well, 
and the rest of that stuff takes care of itself. A big part of that is going cash too, I got to admit. Um, and, and that's a, for some doctors, that's a gigantic hurdle. But once they make that jump, everyone who does it is happy. So using EVA and going cash to me is the solution to return to that, to, you know, the dreams of my youth can be recaptured and I'm doing a practice now. I really enjoy it. I'm having fun. So, and making money. So in that order. Two good things. Fun. Mm -hmm. making. <laughs> yeah. Right. Outcome. I mean, and income, like we say. Yeah, exactly. We always come back to that. It's interesting how, you know, everybody's journey, I think in healthcare, the people that I am, you know, have closest relationships with, it really started with this like idea from when they were really young, um, an idealistic one. And then they went through whatever path, you know, not always straight to medical and then came back and tried to accomplish that and very discouraged by the fact that they couldn't just like help people, right? They couldn't just go back to that root motivation of wanting to be the person that could help find a solution or support, you know, whatever your version of that is, you know, and I told you this story, but it's, you know, for, for me, it was, you know, this came up, I think it was last week and my daughter asked, dad, what did you want to be when you grew up? And he said, oh, you know, whatever, as long as I was high in the company and I can get a nice car. Because when he was a kid, he loved little Hot Wheels. That was his thing, right? He loved cars. Oh, that's interesting. And yep. And, and, you know, that's, he's a simple guy like that. And for me, she said, well, what did you want to do, mom? And my husband said, I know what her dream, dream job was. And she said, what? And she said, well, she would want to be a nurse or a doctor or some sort of healthcare worker on a spaceship. <laughs> I was like, yes, that's exactly right. That's totally what I want to do. Because I'm a huge sci-fi person. I've always been that way since I was little, you know. And so, like, when I went to college, the original idea was to do astrophysics, like, to go down that path and find that sort of journey. And very quickly, it, it became not magical, got an art degree, right? Total opposite, maybe the same. I don't know, astrophysics art. <laughs> but, you know, my journey really led me back to, after years and years of experience, and then my own health journey back into healthcare. And when I entered healthcare, it, and I, and I knew it was a mess. My mom's a nurse, like all that. But when I was experiencing it at the level that I was with the technology background that I had, it was unforgivable to me is what I really felt. Um, and then to be caught in the massive logistical nightmare of COVID with technology playing a major role in that, I was just sort of like, man, I'm never, I feel like I've gone further backwards. Like uh, there's no like amazing healthcare, like in a spaceship, using touch screens, interacting with the patient, finding, you know, it's kind of like a detective story and help finding solutions and supporting them when everybody else has given up. I share that with you. For me, it was when anybody else has given up to give care to somebody or written them off. For me, it was sort of like, those are the ones I was interested in, right? And and really the closest I've been able to get to that is working with Eva. And the reason why is because it does exactly what you said. It, bring, it It's this amazing technological tool 
it's more than a tool though because Eva's like Eva's an assistant right so that's what it feels like it feels like having you know a little an assistant with you in this high-tech world and you can work with patients in a basic rooted manner that focuses really on them and the technology is supportive it's not a hindrance it's not um meant to get in the way by cause like you know sort of forcing you down the regulation path or down a, a standard care model that is based in science that's 20 30 years old that just simply doesn't work right and we've seen it over and over again um so i that's i'm glad to be as close as i can yes i still dream of being on a spaceship one day but <laughs> you know it's sort of like Hey, I'll take I'll take my wins when I can get them, and and maybe maybe my daughter will go into well, space. You know what? If if Elon calls me, I'll let him know that you're looking for work. <laughs> okay. Cool. Only, only after you're done with us. But um, yeah. yeah. So as, as you say that though, it occurs to me like those those real um, childish or uh, childhood desires. Um, they are deep and I think that they, they run way, way deeper than uh, as, as much as we can have some fun with it and joke about it. Um, that desire to be um, a healer and to, and to interact with people in that way. Your husband wants to, wanted a cool car. Not everybody's that way, but the ones who are should be honored in that. And I don't think that they are by the system that we're in right now. The system's horrible. It sucks the life out of you. It's bad enough to go through medical training, which is a total whip. It's it's years of sleepless, being yelled at. Um, lots of it was for me was fun, not being yelled at part, but lots of it was fun. But because there's at the end of the road, you know that you're going to be able to be enabled to do these really great things for people. And then at some point, you're told, no, 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 your job is to make sure your coding is right. That's your job now. Your job is to make sure that your forms are filled out in every box checked. Um, how de demoralizing. I mean, it's just completely the opposite. One of the, I, when I applied for medical school, I was, I had, um, I also wanted to go fly for the Air Force. I wanted to be a pilot. So I had applications from the Air Force and from medical school. And the one from the Air Force was really thick. It was like a half inch thick. And the one for medical school was like half that thick. And I thought, well, I'm doing the easier application. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fill out all that paper. That's what the Air Force is going to be like. I'm not doing that paper. So as much as I thought that would be more fun, I was kind of sort of committed to it. Not real, not totally, but medicine. I was like, I definitely want to do it. And then when that came up and I looked at the paperwork that was involved being in the military, I'm like, I don't want to push paper for a living. And that's where everybody is now. Everybody has become a data entry clerk and amazing. I'll get on the phone with a doctor um, colleague uh, and ask a question about, I have, a, I have a patient with this a blood count and it doesn't make any sense to me. Can you tell me? And then for five minutes, there's this flowing, beautiful description of the literature and what they've studied and all the things that they're interested in. And I, they'll need to look into it because there's more to it than that. And I'm absolutely happy to help. That's the art of medicine and the beauty of I'm going to, and even the, the, my colleague trying to help me. You know, they're trying to heal my problem. I've got a problem with understanding. I can't figure something out. I talked to a colleague. They helped me. That's the flow and the beauty of it. And without that, there's a complete, um, I don't know, that mental breakdown. You don't want to work. 
You don't, you don't want to go to work and fill out forms. And most doctors spend more than half their time filling out forms. That's what they do. It's like they're applying for the Air Force every day. Every day, it's the same thing. The worst possible, if I had anything I could choose, it would be not that big, thick form. And it's been forced on. And what they say, and I, I'm on a ton of uh, medical uh, apps. There's one called Doximity, which is doctors only. And the constant whine, uh, I would call it a complaint, except it's just whining because there are solutions. The doctors are saying, oh, we should unionize and it's just not fair and we have to do insurance. And and I, I always enter my little comment. I say, it's not necessary. You can do cash practice. It's the most compassionate thing you can do. Patients want care. They're willing to pay for it. But if you can't provide them the care that they want because insurance is in the way, you're the one who's at fault. You're the one who's not being ethical and you're the one who's not supporting that patient in their need. But what about insurance and they need insurance? It's like, I agree with that. For primary care, they don't. We don't charge $15,000 for a visit. You know, it's $150 or $250. And pretty much that's affordable. We also give away care. Built into EVA, there's a discounting system because we know it's cash. We can give the patient 100% off, 50% off on the fly. Boop, done. And we can do it. If the patient says, boy, I'm really kind of tight and I can't do it, we can do our care for cost. Or we can give it to them as a gift. Um, and we don't have to worry about it. So that, that mythical, oh my gosh, it's so unethical to not take insurance. It's ridiculous. It, I have colleagues who've gone out of business because they can't support their business. And now they can't take care of any patients except in a hospital setting or in the emergency department, because that's all that's left to them. That's their only choice in terms of providing care, which is not the best care. The best care is a primary care doctor who knows the patient, who has a relationship with them, who could say, you know, you've been through this before about three years ago. I remember this. You went through the same thing and you did terrible on antidepressants and you did so much better with getting a bright light in your room in the morning. Remember that? No, I forgot all about it, doc. Thanks for reminding me. Okay, let's do that and make sure that your, your numbers are good for your lab this, this year. Okay, great. And it's a completely different experience. And it's only getting worse. The insurance industry, Medicare's cutting like crazy, and they have to because it's too expensive a program. The government can't afford it. It's not like the government's doing a bad job. The program's bad. Medicare is a bad program for that purpose. There has to be uh, a relief valve where people who have more than getting their blood pressure medicine filled, which Medicare is great for, go in, it's kind of a factory process, get your blood pressure medicine filled or whatever else that you need. If it's a prescription and that's all you need, that's fine. But if you actually want to take care of your health and wellness, that is a terrible model. Doctors can't spend the time. Even if they could use EVA with insurance, I don't think it would be good enough. If, if there was a way, EVA would make it possible, but insurance is just not doable. They can't pay enough to make it work. So the doctor has to go cash. It takes courage to do that. Most doctors are afraid that if they do it, they'll either be a bad guy or gal, or they'll not be able to succeed uh, financially, that they're gonna you know, fall into financial ruin, um, or that you know, they're, they're just not gonna be able to do it because it's different than what they've always done. And every doctor that we've walked through this process within two months, maybe three, but two months is kind of the average, is overjoyed with how well it has gone. It was a few patients that, that were coming insurance only, but a huge number of patients stay. 
and are happy to stay and are happy to pay. And it's, it's just an amazing, amazing process to watch people go through that. Um, and patients are generally happy. Um, we have patients frequently who say, thank you for not taking insurance and taking care of me instead. I appreciate it. Happens all the time. Yeah. I, when I think about, um, you know, the initial dream and then what it means to make stuff happen. So there's a really big difference, right? You can have an idea of, okay, this is what I want to practice. I want to focus on this kind of care, um, primary, you know, integrated, whatever it is. Um, that's really, you know, thinking more about long-term health, preventative. If you're in that world and you're thinking about that and you're like, yeah, I want to be the kind of doc that is, you know, just going to move through them. Like that's the style I'm cool with. I want to have, you know, 20, 30 patients a day. I want to spend 15 minutes in the room and I want the workflow to be quick. Great. Right. So it's like an onion <laughs> again, you know, so it's sort of like once you identify what, what is your internal motivating factor, then start thinking about what that looks like in action. Like, what does that look like in action inside of a space? Even considering, you know, we've talked about this a lot. What does that look like when you go home? What does that look like with your family? What is your free time? What does your own personal health journey look like? What does that whole picture look like in your life? And how does providing care fit into it? And then day to day, do you, what do you want when you walk into your office or if you're doing telehealth? What do you want your first patient to you know, be? Who do you want to see? How long do you want to spend with them? How much do you want to charge? Um, what kind of revenue are you looking at? There's so many layers underneath that, you know, hard candy shell of that's, you know, red ruby and beautiful, but under like diving down into those layers and understanding and really exploring what that looks like, I think is the key to income outcome, right? So if you have no idea and, and and you're not interested in even exploring that, you know, how, what does my day-to-day -day look like? What kind of patients am I gonna see or would I like to? Um, how long do I wanna spend with them? What services do I wanna offer? What kind of products do I wanna sell? Do I wanna sell products? All of that, just, just thinking about it. Um, going down that path is, I think, necessary to hit the income and outcome, which is really focused around the patient outcome, right? Um, and, and your outcome, your health, your life. I don't think, I'm not, I didn't go to med school, but I don't think you're maybe more so now, right? But when you went and a lot of people that are practicing now, were you ever really asked, hey, what does your work-life balance look like? How do you take care of yourself so you can take care of other people and accomplish your dream? Oh yeah, I'll tell you how it worked. I went to, uh, I was in internal medicine rotation. I had pneumonia one morning, got an x-ray and I had pneumonia and I had 103 degree fever. And the doctor who I'm working with says, um, so uh, you're gonna get an IV right now? And they put IVs in either of my arms. And he said, and then we're gonna go do rounds and work, you're gonna work today. And at the end of the work, you can go home and go to bed. It's like, okay, I have pneumonia, right? So work outcome for, for a medical trainee is survive. That's it. And I think what we're running into a lot is that doctors have been told from the time they kind of got done high school, 
here's the here's the the rut that you're going to be in or the track you're going to be in and you just go and you keep your head down and you just keep going and i think the powers that be in the insurance industry uh, large healthcare corporations government they know that doctors are hard workers and they keep their head down and work um, so working out like what does your workflow look like what is your outcome going to be i think that that's very much um a part of the discussion now in the medical literature is like you know doctors are burned out they need to take care of themselves so what we're going to do is we're going to bring a dog into the office so the doctor can pet the dog today to make his life better like, that's not going to work i ain't going to get it that's not a workflow change that's that's like taking um i don't know an, a, a xanax in the middle of your day that's not going to help that's not going to fix the problem it's going to probably make things worse because that's five minutes you can't get that next patient through that you're in such a hurry to do so you can go home and do your records all night. It's not going to work. The whole problem is that the idea of dreaming about what could it be like has kind of been stolen from doctors. They're like, every time I turn around, it gets worse. How could I possibly dream of anything that would be great? But actually dream of the idea of like, well, for instance, me this morning, I got up early, I worked out, I read a little bit. Um, and then I came to the office and I have today to do academic work and to do a podcast and I'll work all day, Tuesday, all day, Thursday, most of the day, Friday. Um, and, and we're doing very well. I have a nurse practitioner or two that work with me and, um, and we're very busy and very successful. Our patient outcomes are all very, very good, um, because we see to it that their needs are met their personal needs are met, their medical needs are met. And our first and only concern is that we take good care of them. We don't care about what their insurance has to say about it. Our whole workflow is built on hospitality from when they walk in, um, really, really in just very, very inclusive discussion of all their problems. They've done an EvaCore survey interview and we know everything about their bowel function, hormones, emotions, all that stuff, because Eva has collated that information, distilled it and presented it to us. We know. So that doesn't take but 30 seconds to decide, OK, this is where I'm going to focus my interview today. Definitely it's got a mood issue and there's definitely a hormonal problem. So let's take care of those two things. We'll get it done. And the patient, then you have 20 or 30 minutes to spend yakking about stuff that's important emotionally or something that needs to be handled or not. You get to walk out of the room and go do something else. Our workflow is really simple. We take care of the patient. We focus on the outcome. We don't worry about our income because that's locked in. It's guaranteed if your outcomes are good and your business structure and model are good. And Eva sees to that. You, you don't lose charges because Eva captures everything in your treatment plan. It goes right into your invoice and it's done. Um, so our workflow is basically designed around the idea that I want to be really, really good at what I do. And I want to have enough energy to walk into each room that I walk into and say, Hey, it's Dr. J. I'm so good. Glad to see you. It's so good that you're here today. What do you, what's up? I mean, I can see that because I know before I walk in the room, because we have a patient status monitor outside every door, I know that they're here today to have a discussion about, you know, some dizziness that they're experiencing. I know you got some dizziness, but you, are you okay otherwise? Yeah, I'm good, just a dizzy. Okay, well, then we can deal with that and whatever we need to do. And um, it is a powerful model. Um, and I dared to dream about this in 2003 when we started this, this business and this EVA um, uh, artificial intelligence model. And um, 
I didn't think it would grow into this. I didn't have any idea that EHRs would be so important. Um, I, I thought it was more about making a really, doing a really good job of diagnosing a patient's functional medicine issues. But it grew like crazy. And now we have this opportunity to deliver back to doctors some of those childhood dreams, but certainly a much better lifestyle and a much better and more profitable business and freedom from the insurance industry and, uh, and government overreach in terms of you know uh, protocols and guidelines that we're supposed to follow as if a patient were a cow. It's ridiculous. I, I don't, I, it's, it's infuriating, but I don't have to deal with it. So I'll let everybody else be infuriated about it. So, you know. Yeah, I think um, it's nice to hear that, you know, there are still, or it's nice to experience and work with providers that doctors, nurse practitioners, PAs, all of them that still have what, what I used to call the magic. And I, mm -hmm. you know, I, you could tell when going into like a new surgeon would come in and you could tell if they had the magic or not like so quick and usually what that meant was it didn't matter how old they were it didn't it didn't matter about any of that what mattered was did they love what they were doing like love it and it was hard to see when a provider or surgeon in particular had the magic and then watch it go away I mean, watch it just die. And and this, it's like watching an artist for me, you know, like it's like being in the room with a creator and, you know, someone who can creatively think about problem solving, but also communicate and then create these solutions. And, uh, you know, it's an, a wonderful collaboration to watch between a provider and a patient and in any context. But when the magic is gone and the provider isn't doing well, um, it's heartbreaking. As, as a nurse, it's heartbreaking to see because both individuals in the room are important to me, right? For me to do what I need to do, which is supportive, um, my role was dependent on both and still is. And so it, it brings me joy now to work with providers and try to help bring back magic. It's not easy, I'm gonna tell you that, like it's not easy. It's not easy to establish trust um, when I show, you know, Eva to new practices, usually I don't get to talk to the doc right away. I, most of the time I'm talking to front desk staff or, you know, whoever. And then when I finally get to have that conversation with the provider, it's really about nurturing them and kind of the abuse they've been put through. And, and also being clear, you know, if, if they're not interested in changing and they're just too tired at this point and they don't want to go, you know, learn about tech or do any of this yet, I say, okay, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not interested in adding another layer of what I consider to be burden and that sort of damping down that bright light. I'm interested in, okay, if you're ready and this is really something that you are wanting to do, we can do this the right way. It doesn't mean it's a quick fix, right? Nothing's a quick fix because really what's happening is you're gonna go through a transition where you actually get to define your care style and your business style and do that. And a lot of the time, like right now, so far, my experience, 90% of the time, 
nobody's ever been asked that or even been given the permission, even though they don't need permission yep. to think totally about that. Right. Yep. And so when I, when I, when I have offered that, sometimes there's frustration. They're sort of like, how dare you ask me what I want to do, you know, or, or, you know, not really like that, but you know, the point is I don't, we don't as a company we don't say you have to do this you know it's really do you want to do this and if you do awesome we're here for it you know and well, it's funny yeah you're, you're talking about something that's like that it, it strikes me there's a standard of care right mm -hmm. and so doctors are expected to uphold the standard of care and right now the standard of business care the way that doctors run their business is basically they get on insurance plans where they accept insurance the patient comes in, makes a copay or not, and they do what the insurance company tells them they're allowed to do. And then the patient gets whatever that is. Um, lots of times that works great. Acute stuff is, it's real good for that. It works really good for sprained ankle and sore throat and things like that. Um, not necessarily for the doctor, but for the patient, it works out pretty well. Um, but the standard of care has not really developed and expanded. In fact, it has shrunk and um, and crushed the souls of many um, in terms of the, the new technology. We know that you know the microbiome in your intestinal tract has a huge impact on your brain and how it works, but no insurance will cover that. We, that's not, insurance doesn't cover that. Um, we know that intravenous nutrition makes a huge difference in people who have digestive problems. We know that uh, there are supplements that will make your uh, forgetfulness, not full-blown Alzheimer's, but forgetfulness, it will make it way better. We know all these things that are basic technologies in integrative medicine that insurance will not cover. And you completely blow all of that out of the water with the insurance business. As soon as you shift from that standard of care, that insurance is the way things are done. And you say, you know what? Insurance really is not good enough for my patients. That's not good enough. I want to provide them with the very best care they can possibly get because I want their outcomes to be superlative. I don't want them to be pretty good. I want them to be the very best because that's what fuels my joy and ultimately pays the bills because people tell people that you should go see Dr. J because man, I saw seven other doctors before and nobody could get me well under the insurance protocol, <laughs> under the breath, it's kind of really sad, but I just made a simple assessment, used Eva, they have an adrenal problem, give them a little adrenal support and some rest advice and some nutrition stuff. And simply within a month or two, they're better. And it's, it's not surprising. It's consistent. Um, we certainly don't get everybody better, but we get a whole lot of people better who didn't get better under the insurance model and it drives business. It does take a little longer than getting on an insurance list and people from the insurance calling you because it's cheap. That That's faster, but you can't get stuff that's great usually fast. It takes a little bit longer. Um, and doctors who already have a practice have a huge contact base. So when they shift, all they have to do is let that patient know that I can't continue to provide you the excellent care that you've become accustomed to because the insurance industry has changed too much. I'm changing to a cash practice and I would love it if you'd consider being my patient. And then you can make any model available, direct patient care, concierge, do what we do as fee for service, which I think is the best because I get paid for what I actually do. I'm not making promises I can't keep. I'm not on call at night. All those things that I don't want to have to do. Um, 
but man, it is the most satisfying and fulfilling thing. And my goal with Eva is to have thousands of doctors free, completely free to choose the care they provide for their patient and for that patient to be able to, to be free to choose to pay for it or not pay for it. If they don't think they need it and they don't want to pay for it, that's entirely at their will. They can do what they can do whatever they want. And, and the doctor then can do whatever they want, but not being dictated to by people who don't have any skin in the game. The patient and the doctor are the ones who see the pain and see the dysfunction and see the benefit. Um, so I, I think the only way to do this, uh, I go back to my doximity model. Doctors are complaining, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's like, it does work. It's a simple transition. You just have the courage, have to have the courage to make a change. You just gotta say yes and say, I'm gonna give it a try. It's, it's the difference between making the jailbreak or staying in jail. You might get shot, I guess, breaking out of jail, but you won't get shot going cash. That's not going to happen. Nobody dies. Yeah. Your business may not do as well, though we've never seen it. But mm. that's the risk you're taking. That's it. That's the only risk you're taking for freedom. It seems a, a small price to pay. Yeah. You know, we talked earlier about one of the things that if you're looking to like, move out of the burnout phase you you're talking about really recovering yourself as a provider right like the burnout is real and and i don't even like that term for it because it's so much more than that i mean we're talking about like massive depression it affects families tremendously and the magic leaves obviously and then the ability to have interpersonal relationships, even in the work environment, like everybody becomes totally jaded. And when you have something that's as important as maintaining, managing, understanding, being on a journey with health and everyone is jaded, that's a dangerous combination. One, <laughs> you know, like that's totally dangerous. But two, if you can't transition out of being jaded and you distrust everything you know i can offer everything that i can offer here to help you sort of try to bring back the magic to build this practice to have these ideas but that part right there that's the most difficult part you know on my end really with eva is sort of i'm here to help you and i'm here to you know get you on that on that journey utilizing this tool but also just as a human being um but sometimes it's a little bit rocky because yeah you've been through a lot and yeah you're healing you are healing and you know the healing process for something that sort of like long building up chronic mm -hmm. stress on yep. any joint or whatever the healing process for that is not tomorrow it is not in two weeks. It is sometimes not a month. Look, I would say we around two months, I agree. Two to three is where I start to see that sort of brightness come back and things sort of change. Um, and we basically continue to have that rate, which is pretty interesting. Um, and it kind of matches recovery for kind of like a joint injury and stuff like that, you know, soft tissue or whatever. <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this as, you know, coming back to our original point of what did you want to do, you know, and, and if, if caring for people was it for you and it's still it for you, but you're exhausted, jaded, tired, um, there are options out there. There are ways to do it. 
um, but you have to be engaged with it and you have to kind of go through that healing process. And it does take some time. Um, and if, if you're not willing to kind of do that yet, then you're not ready. And that's, that's fine. You know, you'll know when you're ready, you'll know when you're ready to try and do something different, like yeah. no matter what it is, right. Not just yeah. what we're doing, anything. Yeah. Um, well, well, to, to close too, I just want to encourage, um, doctors and providers and everybody who's involved in this process, the nurses who actually run practices, the, 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 um, the people who are responsible for making the decisions to actually take on uh, a new technology or a new uh, system. Um, you didn't get into this by mistake. You didn't become a healer by mistake. It's, it's your, for most of us, it's, it's your destiny. It's what you're supposed to do. So retirement is certainly an answer, but it's usually not the best answer unless you're really wanting to retire because you're, you're done, you're finished. If that's not the case, um, before you throw in the towel, before you let the, the, the tidal wave just sweep you away, um, the British say, they don't say uh, throw in the towel, they say throw out the sponge. Before you throw out the sponge, um, you should look at Eva as a possibility. And if it's not Eva, look at doing something that eliminates the aggravation and the, uh, the absolute ridiculousness of the insurance system and, and look at what it's like to practice medicine on the basis of the outcome the patient gets and the income they're willing to provide you because of that. It really does work. It's absolutely amazing. And it would be a shame to lose more gifted people because the system is so bad and you're not stuck in it. There is a solution. And Eva is the best solution we've been able to come up with. And we've been doing it for 20 years. So it's pretty tried and true, pretty well tested. Um, most of the other technology platforms are not built to run an independent cash practice. They're built with other things in mind. And, and, that's, and that's fine. And, and they don't have AI that, that, that interprets the data so that you don't spend time with a lengthy interview or reading through a big questionnaire. Um, Eva does all that as well, as well as writes the chart for you mostly. Um, so all the headaches and hassles have been taken out and, and then you can live the, the thing that you wanted to always be as you can, like when you wanted to be a little kid growing up, I want to be like Dr. Johnston. I want to be that, you know, that guy who's, he, he saves people's lives. That's his job instead of, you know, a data entry clerk where I know lots of my colleagues feel like that. And I wish I could, mm. you know, grab them by the shirt collar and say, come on, you don't have to do this. Um, it's a hard transition to make for some people, but it's doable and we have the solution. So go Eva, rah, rah. Yeah. <laughs> do it. No. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. <laughs> We'll continue our conversation and dive deeper into some of these topics, but I'm glad to have the opportunity to be able to combine technology, future technology, <laughs> and do what I do still. So thanks for having me. So, hey, so when you leave, should I say, are you going to jet? Like, you know, when you leave, people say they're going to jet. So you, because you're on spaceship. You're going to jet. Yeah, no, okay. no. I'm going to um, say, say thank you for, for playing. It's fun to have these discussions with you. Right on. Well, I'll see you on our next one. Okay. Talk to you later.
All right, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on season two, episode two. And we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. In the meantime, if you're interested in exploring more about Eva Health, you can check us out at www.evahealth.com. We're here for you. Have a great rest of your day.